Time to fire up the VCR. This one's my favorite. Welcome to Analog Jones and the Temple of Film. I'm Steve. And I'm Matt. We are a VHS podcast that breaks down the box art, the trailers, and behind the scenes. <laughs> and we wax nostalgia like no other. All right, Matt, this week is part of your animation month. So what do we got? So we're kicking off animation month's VHS section here uh, with Fern Gully, The Last Rainforest. Just beyond your dreams, there is a secret world. Where every sound is a song, every tree a home, and humans exist only in fairy tales. Until now. This is a tale of a magical place. You shrank me? Yeah. Catches on quick, doesn't it? Are you really a human? I'm Zack. <laughs> I'm Krista. We're high-flying creatures. <laughs> I can see it's a miracle! We'll reach deep into your heart. <laughs> but now, this most enchanted place is about to face its greatest threat. Join their struggle for survival. Stop! Daddy, let's go! In this celebration of life. <laughs> 20th Century Fox invites you to witness the wonder. This is so incredible. Spread the word. How can you live without trees? And plant the seed to save a place called Fern Gully, the last rainforest. I chose because it was a childhood favorite of mine. I loved this as a kid. But I haven't seen it since I was a kid, so I was really curious to go back and revisit it. Yeah, I haven't seen this probably since the mid-90s. So when we put this in and watched it, again, the exact same thing. I hadn't seen it in forever. I remember loving it. <laughs> yes, uh, I, I can definitely see, and we'll get into it in the details, I can definitely see why I loved it as a kid now, uh, going back and revisiting it. Um, but... Uh, yeah, this is, this is the kind of movie that only would ever get made in the 90s. No kidding. Especially the songs. The songs are so 90s. Yes. Also, the message, too. Like, obviously, this is a Save the Rainforest movie, but they almost do it in a way that doesn't, like, shove it down your throat. But it does, but it's not, like, annoying about I don't know. Like, it, it, it walks such a fine line, and it works. To me, this movie kind of lacks a real direction when it comes to the message. Yeah, and I, I think that works in its favor. Like, I just think that, like, instead of... I think if this movie came out today, it would be so jammed down your throat, you'd just be annoyed by it. You'd be like, yeah, I want to fucking save the rainforest, but, like, God, don't, like... <laughs> don't make you feel like shit about it. <laughs> so pretty, like, pretty much a movie I'd watch. <laughs> yeah, right. At least, at least this one walks that fine line well. Um, yeah, but I, I, I loved this as a kid. Uh, I found this... VHS, and I, we'll go into the box art in a second here, but I found this VHS at a closing video store by my house when, maybe 10 years ago when, I, when all the video stores started closing, and I was like, you know, I love this as a kid, I'm gonna pick this up, and I brought it, I picked it up from the closing video store, and then, like, still didn't watch it for, like, 10 years, <laughs> and now, now I had a chance to bust it out. That's what happens when you collect VHS. Yeah, you, they sit there for 10 years, and you're like, I should watch that. Because, I mean, I've gone through my VHSs, too, be like, I don't need this one, I don't need this one, I'm never going to watch this one. And stuff like this just always stayed. <laughs> All right, let's get into the details of this film. Fern Gully, The Last Rainforest came out on April 10th, 1990. 1992 in the United States. That was a runtime of about, what, 67 minutes? Something like that? 76 minutes, 76. This was directed by Bill Coyer, who directed a little bitty short that I watched not too uh, too long ago called Technological Threat. It was one of the first films, or maybe the first film, to use 2D and 3D. He did it in 1988. It was cute. It was like one of these things where a new robot comes into the office, and it's the new technology, and obviously they fight and figure things out. And of course, that, you know, was 
that modern time with the 3D coming out and the 2D being affected by it. Yeah, and this movie has that. This movie has the 2D and the 3D together. Yeah, so you can see why they decided to hire him to direct it. Yeah. It was written by Jim Cox and Diana Young. Now, Diana Young did the original story, so Jim Cox actually wrote the screenplay. Looks like Jim Cox wrote stuff like The Rescuers Down Under and... Oliver and Company. Yeah. The cute kid films of that time period. Yep. 90s. Late 80s, early 90s kid stuff. Uh, we, we've got a cast of uh, Samantha Mathis, Christian Slater, Robin Williams, Tim Curry. Good stuff. Yeah, I think it was interesting that a lot of these listed Samantha Mathis and Christian Slater on top and not Tim Curry. Oh, Tim Curry's got to be the, like, ant in this movie. I'd have to go back and watch the credits of the actual movie itself, but he's got to be like the end. He got paid the most on this one, for sure. <laughs> yeah, and this was Robin Williams' first time doing a animated voice. Yeah, this paved the way for uh, the genie in Aladdin, because this was the same year, but this came out first. Yeah, this was in production in, like, 1990. So when they asked him to do this, I guess he agreed with the message of the film and did it for next to nothing. Nice. Yeah. All right. Should we talk about this box? Yeah. So let's move on to box art. All right, Matt, what made you pick this up? <laughs> so Fern Gully, The Last Rainforest, has the Robin Williams character, Batty, is kind of front and center. He's the one that's going to attract kids for sure. And then we see the Samantha Mathis little fairy and the, uh, the cool dude who is not Christian Slater, who I was confused when I first watched it because I thought, like, the cool dude that gets shrunk that worked for the, the construction company, I thought that was going to be Christian Slater, but it wasn't. It was just some other random guy. Uh, Christian Slater is one of the other fairies that's, like, buddy-buddy with Samantha Mathis and is kind of jealous of this uh, human that she brings down to their world. Very Avatar-like. <laughs> we'll get to the comparisons yeah, later. Yeah. yeah, we've got one of the uh, side goofy characters riding a beetle. And uh, in the background of uh, all this is a, a smoked version of Tim Curry's, like, smog monster. Yeah. Uh, which is obviously the thing that made me pick up this. <laughs> yeah, it's sad that they cartooned him up, familyed him up, so to speak, instead of, like, the dark grimace look that he has in the movie. He's, like, white and puffy in this. Yeah, it looks like a cloud, not, like tar like he is in the movie and yeah he kind of is like smiling in this and he does not look like he's smiling in the uh, other on the in the movie itself it's the marketing right there that's when the family's mom was bringing the kids to the video store and this was starting to get into the time of you know the violent well this is a little bit past the violence of the movies coming out and then we kind of had to soften everything up because moms were getting very vocal yeah, this was during the uh, parental advisory CD stamps on, on all your music that you bought. This was during that that time. Tipper uh, Gore! Yeah, the Tipper Gore era. So you flip over to the back, and we've got a review that from Entertainment Weekly that says, A rare treasure, a great film. Uh, and here's our, here's our description. Magic and adventure await in Fern Gully, a spectacular rainforest where a bat named Batty, whose radar has gone haywire, joins together with Krista, Pips, and the Beetle Boys to save their marvelous world from the evil Hexus. Ignoring the warnings of her friends, Krista, the curious tree fairy, explores the world beyond Fern Gully. She discovers Zack, a real-life human who is helping demolish the rainforest. Once Zack sees the beauty and the magic of Fern Gully, he vows to save it, but it may be too late. The diabolical Hexus is on the loose and intent on destroying all of Fern Gully. This animated feature rocks with an original score performed by Sheena Easton, Rafi, Tone Loke, and others. 72 minutes, color rated G. Uh, this is mono compatible, so still still in that transition area from mono to stereo. <laughs> yeah, we got a credit block, and then we've just got all the various creatures. We've got like the grandma, wise grandmother character, another baddie, some more of the guys riding beetles, I'm assuming the Beetle Boys, um, and the Tone Loke lizard character on the back here. It's an award winner uh, from the Film Advisory Board, Board of Ec- or Award of Excellence, which is the family-friendly award thing. So this is okay for families to watch, another thing that they're uh, advertising. And you could tell that the plastic was over this for too long because the Fox Video stamp bled through 
oh, the wow. cardboard from the plastic. So I bet the video store just kept the plastic on it for years, and then eventually the plastic fucking melted to the box, and that's that's what we got here. <laughs> oh man, that's like a nice little relic on yes. this thing. <laughs> yeah, that's one of those stickers you don't want to take off. I and it, it actually still has the the sticker on here too on the on the actual tape from Video Land. That's where I got it from. That, yeah. like, very rarely do I have a tape that actually has the sticker of, like, where I got it from. This one does. <laughs> yeah, when I was looking through the posters and everything on this, the posters are so much better because they actually had some balls and put Tim Curry's Hexus character as he actually appears in the film. Uh, this, I, I don't mind the bright shininess, but this became so 90s because the 80s were so violent and s- did not care what they gave to kids yeah. for the most part. The 90s just reversed this to the other extreme right. where we always had to protect our kids. Put them in a bubble. Yeah. And it's funny because the movies themselves haven't gone that way. It's the advertising that went that way. And the 90s movies still had that rough edge, uh, even almost even more so than the 80s sometimes. Uh, you know, I always go back to the example of, like, my girl, where, like, Macaulay Culkin just, like, dies. You know, the movies were still hardcore, but the advertising was safe. Yes. Ever- now, the, now everything's safe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, we're not going to get into that. I always forget to ask you this question uh, the last few episodes. If you see this box... Do you pick it up, though? If I'm a kid, of course. You're going to rent this? Yeah. Yeah, same. I, I think it's colorful enough and attractive enough to a kid that I would pick it up. But also, it looks like it's got, it's like a bigger movie. You know, this isn't like a cartoon, like, that I that I think is going to, like, be for little, little kids. Like, me as, like, a seven-year-old is still probably going to pick this up. Yeah, as a teenager, no. Well, no. Yeah, rebelling teenager, this looks too cute. But yeah. uh, as a little kid, absolutely. Yeah completely agree okay let's put in the tape and check out these trailers coming soon to home video the trailer that we had in this was home alone 2 yes which i think is funny because we just talked about the protecting of kids and marketing well this trailer pretty much gives away all the violent scenes in the film (laughs) and home alone 2 was freaking violent yeah, the way they do that, where they show you sort of every crazy antic in the movie, uh, and this was this was the trailer before it was coming to theaters, it looked like they weren't sure about this movie. That's what I got the feeling by the trailer. They were like, it's a part two. I don't know if people are going to come see this. I don't know if people are going to like this. Let's kind of give them all the zaniness in the trailer and hope it works. Well, it worked. <laughs> Some people like the second one more than the first one. So, <laughs> Yeah, it's... It is an interesting film on that one. We should do that one day because the test audiences in that went nuts with, especially the parents, this is way too violent, and they didn't cut it back to their credit. Yeah. And then, I mean, they use it then in the trailer. Yeah, it does. It seems like they're just, like, unsure of what's going to happen when this one comes out. (laughs) It's a very unconfident trailer. (laughs) Yes. All right, so let's break this film down. And now... Our feature presentation. Well, we just watched it. Interesting characters in this. I do not understand why there are two males in this. I I get the whole competing to get the girl. Yeah. But I was confused because you said in the beginning, I thought Christian Slater also was going to be the cool 90s guy. Right. And it wasn't. No, he's one of the, the other fairies, which is an interesting casting choice. So Jonathan Ward is the cool 90s kid, and I know him from White River Rafting or whatever, the Kevin Bacon film, but apparently he was also in Charles in Charge. I don't really know this kid. Yeah, no, I, I recognize his voice, and I wonder like if he had done other voice acting, like TV work or something, but I didn't, yeah, I don't know this guy. And then Christian Slater almost isn't isn't in this movie as much as I thought he was going to be because he's the side fairy character. <laughs> Yeah, it's really odd. I, I get, like, these two characters kind of just phase each other out, especially Christian, Schre- Christian Slater's fairy. Yeah. I, I don't know why they did that. but um, I wonder, because this was when the time when Samantha Mathis and Christian Slater were together, I wonder if she was like, he's got to be in it. And they were like, well, we already cast the lead. And she's like, we'll find another part for him. <laughs> Yeah, maybe. I, I don't really know. I didn't read anything about that. But they just came off Pump Up the Volume in 1990. Yeah. And if you haven't seen that film, do it. That's I've got that one on tape if we ever need I to do it. that one. I've never seen it. Oh! I think I got it at the same time as these. 
Oh, yeah, that is like the beginning of the 90s films. (laughs) Yeah, never seen it. I've got the tape, though. Yeah, so I I just found that interesting. Now, did you like Samantha Mathis as the lead? I I love Samantha Mathis. Uh, We just came off of Super Mario Brothers and saw her. Uh, I think she's like the perfect... 90s girl like not in like looks wise or anything like that she obviously she's stunning but i just mean just like her voice her her the way she carries herself like everything is, is super 90s so super we, early 90s <laughs> we should do a video of top 10 90s girls oh god i would have i'd have a hundred <laughs> those are those are the loves of my life right there i'll do a top 10 you can do a top 15 okay <laughs> <laughs> so Betty coda Robin Williams, give me your thoughts on this bad boy. Because when he comes in, I mean, he comes in like a wrecking ball on this film. Yeah, he comes in exactly like Robin Williams would come into this movie. <laughs> Batty is basically just Robin Williams animated, which Robin Williams is pretty animated himself. So, like, yeah, this is uh, this is just Robin Williams. And it's funny. It works. I like him in this, actually. It's not like a buried munchausen where it was like too much for that movie for this movie just right yeah i thought a few times it was a little too robin williams for me but some of the times i felt like it really worked especially that rap that rap was awesome yeah no that was really funny and like when it started happening i was like hold on a second is robin williams about to start rapping and then it happens and i'm like he's doing it and i'm loving it <laughs> yeah that's a spectacular song uh, let's play right now i just blew in from a biology lab i'm back and i'm flapping free let me tell you a story and it's all about <laughs> See, I mean, like, everything about it. And did you notice in the song that humans were doing experiments on him? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's fucked up. Like, his story is pretty fucked up. Like, he is uh, a medical testing bat. And he gets gets all messed up, and that's why his radar is all messed up, and he bounces off the walls, and he falls through things and stuff like that. Uh, But, like, you see the medical testing and things like that. It's pretty dark. Yeah, I know. That's right when it... I listened to the rap probably like three times, and every time I'm like, "Ooh, that's that's messed up." <laughs> I mean, the not pandering sort of scary elements of this movie, like baddies testing, and we'll get to Hexus in a second, and this is destroying the rainforest. That's obviously why I loved this movie as a kid. Not because I was like, "Oh, I'm not being pandered to." I wasn't. I wasn't smart enough to know that. It was more just like it was rough. It was dark, and I, like, was attracted to that. I was like, ooh, this isn't, like, safe Disney stuff. This is, like, I'm a little, like, this is, got me on edge. (laughs) Speaking of dark, let's talk about Hexus. Wow. Hexus's birth might be one of the greatest scenes in an animated movie ever, and I'm going to plant that flag right now. Like, I really, truly think that Hexus's birth scene is one of the most incredible. It's probably one of my favorite. Like, if I had to do, like, a top 250 scenes in movies ever, it's got to be in there. Yeah, it was awesome. I do not remember it being that dark. But, man, <laughs> watching it as an adult, I was like, we are not covering kids' eyes on this one. <laughs> Holy crap. They are making pollution look nasty. Yeah. And, like, as a, as a little, little kid when I first saw this movie, I mean, I probably saw this movie when it first came out, so I was really, really young. As a little kid, when this first came out, I didn't translate it to pollution, you know? But I saw him, obviously, as a villain, 
And damn, that is how you create a villain because little kids understand it. Older people know that it's representative of pollution. It works. Also, I noticed, so we'll go talk about the grandma, but did you notice the overshadowing how the males were idiots and the females were smart in this of kind of like the Homer Simpson and the dinosaurs ABC? Because the main girl, uh, the main Samantha Mass's character. Krista. Krista, who's learning all the magic. The grandmother, who is teaching all the magic. You had the goofy dad. Mm. You had the goofy guys running the equipment. And kind of Zack and whatever Christian Slater's fairy was, like, fighting. And they're not, yeah. you know, kind of, like, bumping heads the whole time. While the actual female comes up and fights. Yeah. I, I thought that was interesting because I don't recall a lot of that in animation until later on. So I kind of, like, looked at this film and was like, wow, this is a little progressive for its time. I Again, though, like the... I agree with you 100%, but again, like the rainforest message, it's there, it's apparent, but it's still not jammed down your throat. Like, again, if this movie were made today, they would have a line or something saying, like, well, we all know females are smarter than men, or, so, you know, like where they would have to force-feed it to the audience... This yeah. way, it's there, and it's it's pretty obvious, but it's not jammed down your throat, which I think makes it even more progressive. <laughs> yeah, maybe you're right. Yeah, those lines that they jam down in scripts nowadays are, are terrible, and it, it's part of what pisses people off. Right, yeah, if you do that shit, nobody's going to want to listen when you have something important to say. You know, like if you force down your ideas... When you actually have an idea spun in your movie, they're already tuned out. <laughs> and also, to their credit, the males don't stay dumb the entire time. Like, Zach and, again, Christian Slater's very... At the end, they do the right thing. They uh, learn. They learn. They have yeah. Actually, yeah, there's actual character arcs in this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even Samantha Mathis, who is leading the story and we're following her and she's a pretty smart character start to finish she still learned something yeah, you know like everyone grows in this movie she's foolish at the beginning like going above the canopy and you know being like she has to learn that you know she's kind of like gonna have to be the leader of this she's the only one that can really do serious magic mm -hmm. which i'm always confused about <laughs> her and the grandmother must be in the family or whatever yeah it's like heritage <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i mean uh basically basically the movie if you if you haven't kind of grasped this by now the movie is just about construction company coming in to destroy the rainforest and there's all these creatures like these fairies and animals and bugs and things like that, that that we follow all their stories within the rainforest and as it's being destroyed they need to save the rainforest and all the while they shrink down with samantha mathis's family's magic shrink down one of the construction guys who is zach uh who learns and then does everything in his power to help save it uh before turning back into a full-size human yeah and this is the typical trope of a script where it's just like at first, when they meet, Zach lies. Mm -hmm. And then at the later, she's like, you lied to me? Mm -hmm. and, and it's that, like, I lied, but I learned yeah. trope. And they yeah. always do it. And then they reject him. And then he comes back and helps save the day. And, man, that trope is used so <laughs> much in scripts. And especially TV shows. Yeah. I will, to this movie's credit, though, once again, I think they move it along pretty fast. They don't drag ass with it where you're like... We, we know they're going to get back together. We know they're going to be friends again. They know that he's going to, like, save the rainforest. This movie at least moves at a pace fast enough where it's like, yeah, we have this trope in there, but let's just get through it so we can mm -hmm. get back to the story. Yeah, what would you think about the beginning where they set up the entire story of, like, where they humans and fairies fought Hexus together, and then the fairies thought all of humans went extinct? So... We don't remember them being alive, and fairies think we're all dead. It's pretty <laughs> funny. It's, it works. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I guess that's whatever. And then they trap them in a tree. <laughs> Hexus is now in a tree, which I don't really understand what Hexus is. Right. He's like an entity. Right. Yeah, He. he's... I think he's just... He's more of a metaphor than he is something physical. Like, they just, they leaned hard on metaphor as opposed to, like, giving him an actual thing. Because, yeah, he's trapped in a tree, and the tree gets cut down, and the machines create pollution, creating hexes. Like, it's totally, they don't even go, they just go straight for the, he's pollution. <laughs> they don't yeah. even try to explain it. <laughs> and then he's 
defeated by all the fairies with fairy power mm-hmm. at the very end, mostly because they, Zach shuts off the tree gobbling machine. Right, which is a horrifying scene, by the way. Like, the it, as a little kid, seeing that, like, machine eating up the rainforest and it's like looks like a monster horrifying (laughs) yeah and when the monster machine is literally about to chop up the tree all the fairies are in the tree and i'm like get out of the tree fairies get out (laughs) no that's their home they can't very this is very uh i'm gonna say something very controversial get ready for it (laughs) i always do in every episode i don't like toy story 3 Never liked it when it came out. Still don't like that movie because I think it's very pandering. And I completely disagree with you. But what's... This <laughs> fucking scene was ripped off by Toy Story 3 with the fire scene that they do in that when they're all about to get burned and torn up the toys. It is exactly this fucking scene. They ripped off Fern Gully. Uh, I mean, <laughs> it, it's so exact, though. I know it's I know it's like a trope that happens in all movies and stuff like that, where the main characters are going to get destroyed. But it, it's almost shot for shot. <laughs> I remember this scene, but I just don't see. It. I just see this as like, oh, you know, someone's house is about to be burned, and and they refuse to leave because they're shocked. And, yeah, you know, like petrified. Yeah, yeah no, it's a trope. But I just yeah. think it's it's almost beat for beat the same as this movie. And I was watching it when I was watching it this time because I had seen Toy Story 3 in the time from getting back to this one. And I was like, oh, it's Toy Story 3. <laughs> as soon as that scene started, I was like, that's exactly the first thing I thought of. Toy Story 3 still has one of the best baddies of all time. Uh, I love him. Uh, whatever. <laughs> Send all your hate mail to Matt. <laughs> yeah, Sorry. I'm not a not a or your fan. love mail. Maybe there's someone. Yes, yeah, some, I hope there is somebody out there because every time I say that, like it, everybody looks at me like I just like shat on a child or something like that. Like I took a dump on a kid. <laughs> oh, what a visual! <laughs> but like I just don't like Toy Story three. All uh, right, so I mean we explain anyway. the story. It's so simple. But did you notice some of the side characters, Cheech and Chong as the Beetle Boys? I didn't really care about. Yeah, I wish they were funnier. I wish they got more... They were barely... I mean, they barely have any voice acting in the film. Yeah, they're not really in it. They're not really all that funny. I wish they got to do a little bit more Cheech and Chong-isms. Like, they're in the rainforest. You can still make them stoners. It would have been way more funny if they would have just leaned hard into that. I mean, just eat mushrooms. (laughs) What if they're goofy because they eat mushrooms? Right, done, done. I would love it. I would love that cameo. But yeah. my favorite side character in here is Tone Loke's lizard. Yeah, I awesome. wish. <laughs> was that a salamander? Is that what that is? Oh, whatever. Yeah, I think I it's a salamander okay. or something like that. I wish he was in it more. I, I don't know if they didn't have enough time. Yeah, but he was so famous at this time. Yeah, that rap, which here it is. We have to play it. Check this out. I have a basic inclination. A very primal need. To inspect the vegetation for an egg or centipede. I just can't control this hunger. I just can't seem to cut it back on my ravenous consumption. Uh, you're a welcome little snack. If I'm gonna eat somebody, it might as well be you. I can see you as a sandwich of a strange exotic stew. That's amazing. It's so good. I love his song in this. That actually might... Like, I love Robin Williams' rap, but I think Tone Lokes is my favorite in this movie. Yeah, he was such a star at this time. Like, he was starting to be in all kinds of movies. His songs were charting like crazy. Yeah, he was he was huge at this time. And yeah, that song's awesome. <laughs> yeah, and then 
didn't he do Bebe's Kids like right after this? Yeah, it's all at the same time. Wow. Yeah, he's got a great voice. I wish he would have been in more animations, but he kind of stopped. Yeah, he he did a lot of kids movies. I remember him being in a few Disney mo- like live action Disney movies at this time. Uh, so he tried he tried the acting thing for a while, and he was in stuff. But uh, yeah, he's kind of kind of a relic of the '90s though now. I did not. I do not remember him being in Titan A.E. I don't remember that movie. I feel like I'd like that movie though now. I need to go back and rewatch it. I, I don't, don't remember that, that one. But Sea Bear and Jamal. Yes, I do remember that. I remember that show. That was everywhere for about two years. Now, which song out of the main three by these characters did you love most? Because Toxic Toxic Love by Tim Curry, Batty Coda, and then the uh, I'm Gonna Eat You, or. If, Damn it, what was Tone Looks rapping that? It was something like that. Yeah, yeah. something about I'm going to eat you. If I'm going to eat something, it might as well be you. Yeah, or, yeah. Know, something like yeah. that. Which one out of those three did you like the most? I think I like Tone Looks the most, but I do have a soft spot for Toxic Love, which I just forgot about. That's also amazing. Yeah, see, my favorite is Toxic Love. <laughs> I do believe we are destined to be soul mates. Hit me one time. Hit me twice. Oh! Ah. oh. <laughs> That's rather nice. Oil and grime. Poison sludge. Diesel clouds and noxious muck. Slime beneath me, moon. Slime. I see the world and all the creatures in it. I suck them dry and spit them out like spinach. Because greedy human beings will always lend a hand with the destruction of this wetness jungle. And what a beautiful machine they have provided To slice a path of doom with my sweet breath to guide it how great was it to hear like tim curry sing again like i haven't seen him sing in a movie in decades you know like how great was that (laughs) it's amazing (laughs) loved every second of it so when i'm downloading these or ripping these from the the vhs I get to listen to him probably a little bit more than you. Definitely more than you. And, like, Toxic Love is just... I listen to the lyrics, I'm like, damn, this is awesome. Yeah. Like, for for a Fox animated movie from 1992, they went hard. Like, the songs are great, the animation's great, the cast is great. Like, good on them. Really, like, showing up Disney at the time, who was also, like, on fire at this time as well. Like, Fox being like, no, we're going to do it hard, too. But this very much had the look of a Disney film. Yeah, yeah. It was like a Disney film, but like harder. It was a Disney film that was a little more aggressive and a little more dark, uh, especially with the Hexus character. I mean, I could talk about Hexus all day. Every single scene he's in, I was like, I was like silent. Like I was just, the world was tuned out around me. I was in the movie when he was on screen. Like, damn. Talk about just a, he, Tim Curry. He's such a commanding presence, even animated. I'm like, can't take my eyes off the screen. 
No doubt. <laughs> now, do you want to talk about the comparisons of Avatar and Ferngully here? Because I've got Avatar right by us. Sarah and I rewatched it. Well, it was her first time watching it, which was interesting to me. This is like one of the biggest films of like, what is it, 2000, the mid-2000s? Yeah. Made like 800 zillion dollars. Yes, made all the money in the world. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so... I, I was shocked by that. But one thing that just I could not believe was the tree machine, the tree killing machine. Talk about looking exactly the same. <laughs> See, I, I, I you're going to know more like specific details about Avatar. I, I've seen it since it's come out. I've probably seen it in like 2012 or something like that again. Uh, but I haven't seen it in a few years, at, at least five years I haven't seen it. So you're going to know more specifics. But I do remember thinking... Even, even like, being still, like, 15 years removed from seeing Ferngully, being like, this is kind of similar. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the two lead characters falling in love, sort of. Now, Zack had to be grown back up, and then he left, which is, you know, that sad little reality ending. Right, which is more of the 90s. You wouldn't, you can't get away with that now. Oh, I think you can get away with that now. It would be more of, like, a grand, like look at how dramatic our ending is if we went that way type thing, whereas in the 90s it was just like, no, like I'm human. i got to go back to being human. That's like reality check in the 90s. I could see now them having a shot where he goes back and he's actually helping the rainforest. In this, you just take his word for it. Yeah, right. <laughs> and you're like, Even though right. I do think they replanted, but I can't remember if that was magic or humans. Yeah, I don't remember either. But yeah, so what else? what else specific carried over? Well, I mean... The main tree in Avatar, it's their home, and this one, it holds Hexus, but they also, you know, use the trees as their home. Mm -hmm. That one, I don't get so much. I'm like, he's just, when James Cameron was doing this, I mean, having people who live in the forest live in trees is not exactly like... Right. I mean, that's just normal. Yeah, like So, I don't care about that. I didn't care about the two main leads falling in love. That's, I mean, come on. The, The two leads in it. Samantha Mathis and Christian Slater's was just like whatever the fuck his name is and Zoe's in Avatar. All right, they were a lot alike. Both of them seemed to be betrothed. Uh, the human Zach fell in love with Samantha Mathis. Same thing in Avatar. That was a little, you know, that mirrored a lot. Yeah, yeah, I think, and like the human is magically transported from being human to something mm-hmm. else. Uh, I the only thing other thing I could think of too uh, is the way they use like the bugs in Batty for transport is pretty similar to like the flying things in Avatar too. Yeah, the uh, dragon. They, they kind of look almost similar. Yeah, I I think I think other than those big broad strokes though, I think that's where the comparisons kind of end. I don't think it's too too similar. I mean, James Cameron made a save nature movie just like fern gully did the only thing that got me was the tree destroying machine like where in avatar they smash the camera to stop it they stop the machine in fern gully very similar and i'm like wow that really parallels (laughs) but again you could say like well if you're destroying the rainforest how else could you do it quickly you would make a giant machine right so again broad strokes with this it didn't upset me there's people online that flat out say james cameron is you know just whatever they want to say about him i mean the internet sucks yeah. so james cameron just he's a movie for the masses filmmaker and sometimes in my opinion it works like avatar or like terminator 2 which is just a fucking masterpiece and then sometimes it doesn't like i'm not big on titanic i honestly think that's the only one of his movies i don't like but like he's he's well aliens was amazing yeah i mean aliens is great it's it's uh it's not a horror it's not a horror film like the first alien was right yeah he made it an action just an action adventure film just like terminator 2 right right He's a, he's a movies for the masses person. That's what he does. And like so if he was going to do a movie about the rainforest, it would of course play out exactly the way Avatar plays out, which is not a criticism of the movie at all. It works for that movie. And I, I like it. I enjoy it. Now on the other hand, if we do have to compare 
Avatar to Ferngully. I think Ferngully's a better movie. I think Ferngully's pretty much as close to an animated masterpiece as you can get. I think it's a great movie. What, you think Ferngully's a masterpiece? Yeah, I think it's it's an animation masterpiece. Oh, I can't go that far. I just think it's it's a fun little flick. Uh, I think it needed to push its agenda better. Because when I got out of this, it's just like, oh, magic saves the rainforest. <laughs> this has nothing to do with like, oh, you know what? We got to pull up our sleeves and stop being douchebags, you know, with pollution and everything like that. That's why the one thing at the end of this, when they're like, we do this for our children and our children's children, I was like, lame. <laughs> that is so lame. Like, have some balls. Yeah, see, see, I, I disagree. I think, I think having sort of the magic and not not having humans have to do it or whatever saves us from the force feeding and i think that's what i think that's what elevates this movie for me see i don't think you have to force feed it with lines or anything like that you have to show show don't tell you have to show that like shit needs to get done that's why i was like humans at the end of it should have came and started working in the rainforest and saving it because like magic redoing it like to a kid like you don't realize yeah i guess i guess you're right like as a kid you're not going to be like oh be like oh it's going to fix itself yes fine it's going to fix itself that's what i don't like about it i think maybe because i went going back as an adult i appreciate the way they handled it more now but yeah i guess as a kid i wouldn't have had that connection then to it yeah i mean it it does its job yeah i think it I think it's a fun movie. I think it's a funny movie. I think Robin Williams is great. I think Tim Curry is just fucking amazing. I like Samantha Mathis and uh, Jonathan Ward as Zach. I think they have a good relationship. Yeah, I like so many things about this movie. I like the way it handles the agenda. I like the horror elements of it. I really like this one. (laughs) Let's go behind the scenes with it. So behind the scenes in this is pretty interesting. This movie got made because of the success of The Little Mermaid. Now... I was talking before about how hard it was for animations during this time if you didn't have that Disney slapped on it. So let me go through the list of what, you know, the world was seeing at this point when it came to animated movies. So in 88, you had Oliver and Company, Land Before Time, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which is, you know, half Mm. animation in real life. And then, you know, go to Japan, you had My Neighbor Totoro and Akira. Uh, I never watched those until I was much older. I I like I like Akira. Yeah, but as you can see, like, when it came to the money in the United States, I'll go down. Little Mermaid, in 1989, we had Little Mermaid, All Dogs Go to Heaven, Little Nemo Adventures in Slumberland. In 1990, Rescuers Down Under, Jetsons the Movie. In 91, Beauty and the Beast, An American Tale, Five Goes West, uh, Rock-A-Doodle, Roger Dangerfield, or Rover Dangerfield. <sighs> Woof, am I right? <laughs> yeah, I... <laughs> Man, that one would be a one to do, because I remember that being shit. (laughs) You know, we've already announced we're doing American Tale, so I can say it. I was so between doing uh, an American Tale and Rockadoodle for a while, too, because I have that one as well. Uh, That's going to be one to revisit. I wonder how that one holds up. (laughs) Yeah, Rockadoodle, that's going to be an interesting... Oh, wow. Well, as you can see, like when I was looking at the money, these things... Right. Basically, if you didn't have Disney on it, it was tough to get these financed, and they had a tough time in this. This was a the producer was a wife, a husband and wife team. The wife, you know, wrote the original story. The husband pushed it for many years. I think starting all the way back in like maybe '87. And because of the success of The Little Mermaid, he got more production companies and money toward it, and then finally got Fox to distribute it, and that's really what pushed it over the edge. And it was kind of amazing the talent he pulled in on this because Robin Williams, you know, he saw him in TV shows and everything. He's like, I want that voice. And Batty Coda was a much smaller, a lot less screen time until Robin Williams came in and just knocked it out of the ballpark. And they're right. like, we need a song now. Yeah. And like this paved the way for him to get like Aladdin. Like, yes. like I don't think we would have had Robin Williams the genie if we wouldn't have had this movie. Probably not. And he actually got... No, we wouldn't have. Disney saw this and said, that's our genie. Yeah. Had so, to have. Had to have. And then we had, you know, them getting Cheech and Chong back together after seven or eight years they hadn't worked together. They hadn't even talked to each other. That's wow. what amazed me. I don't know if they had some kind of fight or whatever. I don't know. 
But they said, hey, we came in for a day, had a pizza, did some lines, told some stories, and took off. That's why they're barely in the film. So it was probably pretty tough for this small couple of small production companies coming together. I mean, they got these names, but they couldn't get them to stay long. And that's right. probably why Tone Low yeah. was in here so little. Yeah, and I mean, even Christian Slater, he's barely... If you look at the his yeah. screen time compared to, like, Zach, he's barely in it. Yeah, everyone agreed, you know, all these stars agreed to the message, so they all took barely any money. Now, what is interesting about this is the 3D aspect that came in. They said the 3D was so useful in this that it cut their production time by almost a year. Wow. Yeah, I mean, the 3D animation in this looks amazing, too. Yeah. Holds up. They used it really well for all these establishing shots of the rainforest and... The shots where you had so much going on screen in the background. I don't remember. There was like one scene where a bunch of things were flying by. It's mm. all 3D. And there's no way they could have got this out in 1992 as quick as they did without that. Yeah. And it works. Like, I think I think the the times they chose to use the 3D animation was really smart. I this agree. was planned. Like, this wasn't like, oh, fuck, we have to finish the movie. Just do 3D everything that's left. This was planned. This was mapped out. And it was planned well. It was kind of sad that this didn't make more money in the box office. So, I mean, the budget was around $24 million estimated. That sounds like a lot for an animation of this size. Yeah. No, I, I feel like every dollar is on screen, though. Like, it, lo- it looks amazing. No, completely agree. Like, when it comes to the production of this, they did really, really well. Yeah. I might disagree with some of the messaging, but production-wise, knocked it out of the ballpark. I think. I think, like... Yeah, we, we disagree about, like, the message here, but I think the real reason that I sort of fell in love with the movie as a kid and then re-fell in love with it as an adult watching it again was the look. Like, it's the look. It's the how polished this animated movie is. Like, we're so desensitized to crappy animation today that, like, going back and seeing something that's so rich like this... And, I mean, it's got, like, the Alan Silvestri score, too, which he was super popular at the time coming off, like, Back to the Future and things like that. This is a big movie, and it, it, since every dollar is on screen, I think that's what attracted me to it again. I was like, ooh, this looks good. This feels good. <laughs> I completely, It's funny, we had not mentioned Sylvester yet until right now, which that probably costs a pretty penny. Yeah, absolutely. Before, before we get, we're, we're sidetracking, but I, I wanted to bring this up, and I forgot to mention it earlier. I mentioned to you when I gave you this tape, and I said, pay attention to the voice acting in here. Did you notice how well sort of blended into the environment all the characters are? And I I had mentioned that someone told me once, like it was an old college roommate told me that like modern animated movies always sound like somebody recording in a booth. Whereas like, like older nineties and back animated movies, they always sound like they're blended into the environment. Uh, and I completely agree with that. Even the best animated movies today still sound like people recording in a booth. It's probably because the technology is so clean and crisp that that's why it sounds like that but like these people sounded like they were in the rainforest in my opinion it did not sound like someone reading in a booth to me yeah it sounded like they were in the environment i kind of know what you mean with the audio it's just so crisp so perfect yeah that it just sometimes doesn't feel like they're even talking to each other right right it sounds like a booth it sounds like a person alone in a booth reading lines <laughs> and then the performance can be fantastic there's been some amazing voice work coming out of animation today uh i feel like i've dogged on animation there's some great animated movies uh but yeah it's, but just, it's not the same the leveling yeah, I completely agree. And it's sad that we didn't get a lot more animated films because a lot of them struggled. Like, this made $24 million in the U.S., made some in Australia, because this is actually an Australian production company did this. So it did well on home video, which always helps. But, like, these films, to get a lot more of them at the time period, you know, we needed something, a little one like this, to make, like, $50, 60000000 million in the U.S. Right. And it just didn't. No, we always seem to stumble into this. This is one that founded Second Life on video. Mm-hmm. This is one that got discovered on, on video. Yeah, I wish it would have did better in the theater, but yeah, video is 
it's why I watched it. Right. I didn't see this in the theater. No, no, I never saw it in theater. I probably, as a kid, didn't even know this came to theaters. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I wore the VHS out. I probably. It's funny. This was the place I used to rent movies from as a kid. This is probably the tape I rented as a child, and then when the videos are closed, I bought it. So like, Maybe. weird. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny if that happened. So the location on this film. I was confused about, had to read about The Last Rainforest. I don't remember that actually ever being brought up in it. I don't know if this was a tagline that was added later, but this is a rainforest in Australia, at least the mountain that they talk about in the film is from Australia. I heard someone, someone online, of course, being a jerk, because it's so easy to be a jerk online, was like, yeah, they had to do it in Australia so they could, you know sell their white people as the stars in it. <laughs> get out. Get out. <laughs> it's if, got Cheech and Chong and Tone Loke in it. Like, it's not all white people. <laughs> I don't know. I just think it's funny how no matter what you do, people on the internet will find a way to complain because that's 80% of the internet now. Yeah, it's, it's just complaining. It's whining. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so um, you got anything else for behind the scenes? Um, yeah, I thought this one was interesting. Uh, I just saw this when we were looking up some stuff about like the budget and things. This one was a shot and released in one three one three three one aspect ratio, which is full screen, which is kind of strange for a movie that went to theaters at this time. A lot of those were made in like letterbox widescreen still for the theater, like Aladdin things like that. Maybe they knew that they were gonna have like more of a life on video, and they shot it then in uh, one three three one. Oh, good catch! I didn't even notice that. Yeah, yeah. It, I just thought that was interesting, and I'm sure there was a ton of animated movies doing that at the time. But like, there was also like, like I said, Disney was shooting in uh, the full letterbox. So, just it's just an interesting factoid. All right. Good way to end there. Let's talk about what's going in the museum and what's next. This is the second time I've had to reclaim my property from you. That belongs in a museum. So do you. This is the part of the show where we put something in a museum, something good or something bad. If it's bad, we got to learn from it. But we usually do good. Yes, uh, I've got good. What do you got for the museum this time? I have the song Toxic Love. Again, like I said, it was my favorite. I listened to it a bunch of times. I just love to hear Tim Curry sing that, and I love the animation. Toxic, or Hexus, is great to watch. Yes, so that's why in my museum pick, it's a positive as well, I'm putting Hexus's birth in there because it's horrifying it's so cool. It's so well done, animated, and I, I I just love the character so much. Like he's the best evil character for this movie. Uh, so his birth scene, which is just absolutely incredible, is definitely going in the museum for me this time. God, that character's so. I mean, we could do a <laughs> list on best animated baddies. Yes, I could do a list of best moments with Hexus in this movie <laughs> because they're all so great. I but, just walk into your apartment and you have like an entire like cardboard box full of lists from like <laughs> odd things yes. that we've watched. Yes, <laughs> top ten Hexus moments. <laughs> uh, not far from the truth. Uh, <laughs> I I would say if I came across this. Not if I didn't own this and I came across this at the Goodwill, I would definitely recommend picking it up for sure. I don't know if this is one I'd recommend picking up unless you're nerds like us. I, I think the normal crowd wouldn't do this. You th- I think it's got enough crossover that I think normies would like this. All right. They, I mean, they might. I just like there's something about this where I think it's too Disney. It's, yeah, it's two of the time, maybe. Maybe it's just because we love 90s shit. We love this. It is so 90s. Yeah. So, so 90s. Yeah, I I don't know if we've said it enough, but, like, the Zack character is, like, the 90s threw up on screen. He's got the headphones, he's got the the Dago shirt, and then he's got the cool shoes, like, the long blonde hair. He looks like like a straight out of a Poison music video or something like that. Yeah, we've done this with the little Easter angel, whatever. That kid was so 90s. Yeah. And this kid reminds me kind of like whatever Goofy's kid was from the oh, Goofy. Yeah. 
I can't remember that, his name now. No, I don't remember. Yeah, whatever. But they're like these '90s kids, or you know, Bart Simpson. Like, yeah. They're so '90s. Yeah, and of course his name is Zach. Of course his name is Zach. That's like, if it wasn't Zach, it was Max. Like, those were the kids, the 90s kids' names. Hey, what are the kids like? I don't know. I've been watching this show called uh, Saved by the Bell. I like that Zach name. (laughs) Yeah, right? So 90s. Yeah. I say do it. I say pick it up. I I think it's a fun nostalgia trip. I think this is one you could watch and have fun. I just necessarily don't think you need to own it. Gotcha. But Disagree? But okay. <laughs> right on. Love it. All right, Matt. What's next in your animation month? Motherfucking G.I. Joe the movie. Holy shit. <laughs> so we we did we did a little uh, 2010s. We did a little 90s. Now we're jumping headfirst into the 80s. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> oh, loving that violence. Thanks for listening. You can rate and review us on iTunes. It helps out a lot. You can listen to us on Podbean, YouTube, Stitcher, Google Play. Anyway, have you listened to us on Google Play yet? Uh, yes, of course. I haven't yet. I haven't yet. I'm like two months behind on listening to episodes. But I will, and I can now because I have an Android. And God bless uh, Google Play because now I can listen to it on my phone. <laughs> well, I mean, you've been doing so much with with Horama, and by the way, I guess now we can talk about it. Awesome! Thank you. I had a great time, too. I'm so happy everybody seemed to really enjoy it. I loved it. We had a great crowd. Uh, filmmakers were awesome. What a good time. Yes, Adam Marcus is a treat. He is a treasure. Him and Deborah Sullivan, who came in for Secret Santa and Jason Goes to Hell, are just two of my all-time favorite people now. <laughs> couldn't agree more that was so much fun to hear him talk at the end uh we could have done that for hours like if we didn't have to clear out that theater just could have let him go man what a self i did the q a for jason goes to hell and alex did the q a for secret santa and i don't think either of us needed to do anything but hand adam the microphone and just let him go (laughs) yeah so I, i maybe we can explain it so there was uh, Jason Goes to Hell was viewed, and then his Adam Marcus's new movie Secret Santa, which we've talked about numerous times in the right. past here. But so afterwards, he just goes on and on for I don't know, a solid twenty minutes, yeah. 25, 30. It, I don't even know how long because I was just so interested in this guy. He is like a werewolf writer on coke. I love it. Yeah, he's he's just like uh, he's an amazing dude. He's so smart. He's so funny. He's a great storyteller. I had the most fun doing that Q&A. And yeah, I know we went over and I know I was stressing Alex out when I was doing the Jason Q&A. But uh, I I just, yeah, couldn't stop listening to his stories. He's amazing. So from far away, I kept looking at him and I'm like, that's like the dad werewolf from Teen Wolf from the 80s. I kept looking at him with the beard and his like body shape. I was like, wow, it's like the dad from Teen Wolf. That's funny. Did all these movies. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's funny. all these stories and i love to hear his story about texas chainsaw Mac- massacre 3d how him and his wife wrote it and then just gave it to the studio and then they're like and you don't hear anything and then you see it on the you know the premiere night and you're like what the fuck was that yeah i mean he he yeah we we talked about it a little bit off off stage and... wait that is his wife right mm-hmm. thank yeah, god it's like his wife and writing partner so they they wrote it together, and basically what they changed uh, was it was set in the 90s, and they changed it to modern day, and they added a scene with like a cop looking for Leatherface on a cell phone so they could have another shock scene or whatever. It's basically all they like added, and then like the casting too was kind of against their choice, you know, like the uh, Trey Songs is in the movie, and you know they were they were not for that, but like, but I think they still made a fun movie. I just think it's got the problems that aren't caused by them you know like the the timeline being all over the place and that cell phone scene and like if that movie was set in the 90s and was better cast i think it'd be a super fun movie and i think we would still be talking about it today first watching the film not knowing anything i thought the film was shit Mm. and that's what the studio did to it learning more about it the behind the scenes sort of and then re-watching it i actually liked it a lot more because you can just tell where studio heads got involved and like 
just look at those scenes where you're like, what the fuck were you doing? Yeah. I would love to read his original script. I bet it's a blast. Because the, the scenes that are so Adam and Deborah in that movie are amazing and fun. And then, like, the other, this, like, the added stuff is so, like, Saw or something. You know, it's very just, like, of that time. It doesn't, like, play at all. <laughs> I also loved how truthful he was. Like, because he's like, oh, I saw the movie. And that was shit. Yeah. They fucked up our movie. Yeah. And so they stopped writing for Hollywood. Yeah. And good for them because they got Secret Santa made through their company. They're doing a bunch of other new stuff that they were uh, telling me about that I'm very excited about that they're all that they're working on as a company and like helping other filmmakers and things like that. It that was that was such a fun way to kick off Horrorama. Like that was Friday only. <laughs> and then we still had two more days after that. Yeah, we I mean, we don't even have we'll talk about it next time next week on GI Joe, but uh, we you know had the director for Dead Ann and and then everyone was talking about Soft Matters uh, and shit the documentary on Sunday and then Sunday the fucking Chicago Rot yeah those people the director the star their stories were awesome we'll talk about that later because we're yeah. we're running long yeah but awesome awesome film festival thank you yes I really had a good time I'm glad you were able to make it out I'm glad that uh, that we seemed to make the fans happy because that's all I really cared about you know I cared that the filmmakers were happy and I cared that the fans were happy and it seemed like they were so I'm happy then awesome okay come back next week with G.I. Joe the fucking coma inducing film (laughs) the coke fest movie (laughs)